Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And he swings. Hits it high. And deep. And gone. Still going back. Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton, and in today's episode, we are going to be talking about that Cubs Top 10 Prospect list that we just dropped on JustBaseball.com. This will be a two-part episode where I'll be talking about the honorable mentions and prospects 10 through 6 in this episode, and if you want to follow along, the description has the link to this article as well with the full write-ups on each of these prospects and if you like to follow along with the full grades of every tool and uh, the individual write-ups and everything like that definitely encourage you to, to click that link in the description and read the article but if you're listening while driving or whatever uh, I understand and I will try to tell you as much information as possible and and break down each of these prospects because this Cubs system has really improved drastically. And of course, that required parting with several of those core players from the 2016 World Series team. But I will say this, and I said this in the intro to the article as well, which is the fact that they wanted to ride out that core as long as possible. And as a result, you minimize the trade value of those players. I I don't fault the Cubs for doing that. That was a nostalgic group with Javi Baez, with Chris Bryant, with Anthony Rizzo, and even Wilson Contreras, who's still there. Like That was a group of guys, and Schwarber even at the end there too, that you won the World Series in 16. Fans are still going to see them every single home game that they get the chance, even when the team is underperforming, because, I mean, those are the guys that you've grown to love as Cubs fans that broke the curse. And I understand the Cubs wanting to try one last time and run it back with that group, and it didn't go well. And as a result, when you don't have control, years of control are what really maximize the value of a player, right? And all of the the players that they dealt at that time, uh, when you look from Chris Bryant, if you look from Rizzo to everybody else, it was all players, even Javier Baez, all players who were rentals. And when they're rentals, the trade value is obviously much lesser. The, fa- the fact that several prospects in this top 10 came from those deals, uh, from rental deals, one is a testament to just how well the Cubs made out in a lot of these deals. And two, I really think it expedited this whole retool. I think the Cubs were very clear that they didn't want to rebuild and their ability to focus in and hit on, at least in the early going, looks like they've hit on some of the prospects they identified from other teams. That bodes well for this 
pseudo rebuild or whatever they're doing in Chicago because I can never really tell you what the Cubs are doing right now uh obviously they're not playing great at the big league level but they did go out and sign Marcus Stroman who hasn't been good and that's just an interesting trade for a quote-unquote rebuilding team to be doing I know they won't admit they're rebuilding but when you trade your core I'd consider that somewhat of a rebuild uh so the Cubs are very interesting I think it points towards them just not fully being interested in a teardown, and uh, that's clear. And what we're seeing here is now a lot of prospects trending in the right direction, and it really depends on the timeline because a lot of these guys are still far off, and that was the one thing is when we saw them trade you Darvish and some of these other prospects, it was very clear that the Cubs wanted super young guys that were raw and projectable. I mean, when, when you look at the Darvish deal, it was several Dominican Summer League guys that came over. Whereas when we look more at the other deals, we look at Chris Bryant, that trade brings them Caleb Killian, who you know struggled in his last outing, but I really do like Caleb Killian as a guy that could be a very, very nice piece for them in the back end of the rotation. He's going to be a guy I talk about in part two because he is in the top five spoiler alert there. But let's start with the honorable mentions because there are quite a few that I really like. And I'll start with a guest of the show, a friend of the show, Matt Mervis, who has not stopped hitting. It's actually laughable what Mervis is doing. And I almost had him on the podcast, I think, too early. And we'll have him back. I'm, I'm hoping to be able to squeeze out a trip this coming weekend to go back up to Pensacola and uh, watch the Cubs take on, or I guess the Tennessee Smokies take on the Blue Wahoos. And the crazy thing about Mervis is, you know, when I had him on the podcast earlier in the season, he was still in high A. We were talking about a possible promotion. He was about 25 games into the season and raking. And I was like, I want to talk about what's going on here, man. Can this continue into double? Have you figured something out? And, you know, you can go back and listen to that episode if you're a, a Cubs fan that is come over recently uh, from the top 10 list and just discovered the podcast, scroll back about a dozen episodes, maybe less than that, and you can find the Matt Mervis interview. He is so insightful and, and a really awesome dude that you can't help but root for as an undrafted guy that honestly just was a victim of the COVID situation in terms of what that does to players' draft stocks or opportunity to boost their draft stock, and he's showing to be a big diamond in the rough so far this season. The craziest part about Mervis is he gets promoted to double A, and really doesn't miss a beat. If anything, he's been better. Uh, through almost the, We have almost an identical sample size at this point. 108 plate appearances in high A, 107 plate appearances in double A. So in high A, he hit 350, 389, 650 with seven home runs, a 24% K rate, 4.6% walk rate. Uh, that's in 108 plate appearances, right? So then he gets promoted to double A. And so far, he's had 107 plate appearances. He's hitting 330, 383, 670 with a 21% K rate and an 8% walk rate. So he's nearly doubled his walk rate. He has put up just about the same power numbers. One more home run and one less plate appearance. Identical number of doubles, nine and nine. Less strikeouts, more walks. I mean, what what else do you want to see from a guy that gets promoted from high A to double A, which is a big jump, as I always mention. And if anything, he's been better when you're striking out less, walking more, and putting up the same power numbers, if not better, uh, count me in on that. Uh, you want the numbers combined for this season between high A and double A, just to get an idea of what Mervis is doing. 340, 386, 660 slash line. That's a 1,046 OPS and a 175 WRC+. If you're wondering where he came from, he was an undrafted free agent, as I mentioned, out of Duke University. He was a two-way player at Duke. And 
I watch this guy in the Cape, and that's how I have a little bit of the relationship with him, also teammates with some of my friends at, at Duke, and Merv is a great guy, but uh, you know, I always knew he was talented. If you look at his numbers in the Cape, and we know how the Cape can really boost your draft stock, he was one of the best hitters in the Cape League when I was there, and now that he was able to really just eliminate pitching and focus on hitting, uh, you, you see a guy that's really been able to figure it out and pinpoint the things that he needed to pinpoint, and it's really just all come together for him. I think he's for real. Uh, the only reason he's not in the top 10 is because this is we really only have 52 games to work with, and he is a first baseman. Uh, but other than that, I, I really think he was right on the brink. I wanted to put him in the top 10, but the guy I'm going to get to at number 10, Johandrik Pignago, is somebody that just has a little bit more projection, younger, uh, and, and brings a little bit more as a an above average corner outfielder, but I'm all the way in on Matt Mervis. I think he's past Bryce ball. Uh, and I think he is one of the more exciting offensive prospects that the Cubs have in the system. The only reason he's not more highly regarded is that he kind of came out of nowhere. And also he's a first baseman, but this guy just turned 24. He is crushing double a pitching and I'm all the way in on him. A few other of the honorable mentions. I won't spend as much time on the rest of them. Braylon Marquez yet to pitch this year injuries, bouts of bad cases of COVID were the reports as well. So unfortunately, we have not seen him pitch in 2022. Currently assigned to the AA team uh, with the Tennessee Smokies. But if you're not familiar with Marquez, if he's healthy, I mean, this guy could be special. I'm starting to believe that, you know, it's more likely that we'll see him in the bullpen. I think that seems to be the consensus. They'll probably try him on the mound as a starter a little bit longer when he comes back, but I think it probably makes more sense as a lights-out closer. He's reached 102 from the left side with a plus slider, at least a slider that flashes plus. Is kind of missing that third pitch. He could be that dynamite back-end reliever as a lefty that can just gas you up. And with the command issues, a little bit of health issues, and lacking that third pitch, that's probably the projection for Marquez, but still could be a really interesting piece. Another guy that is yet to play this year, Miguel Amaya, catching prospect, who had an up-and-down season last year, and I think he was a guy that a lot of people were expecting to somewhat explode, and, and he didn't quite you know take that next step last year, but he is such a good defender, and I'll, I'll start with the injury. The reason why we haven't seen him play yet this year is he's dealing with uh, elbow surgery, should be back at some point this season. I'm not sure exactly what the timeline is, but you know, offensively left a little bit to be desired before getting hurt. And we only saw 23 games last year before he got hurt, but he's a plus defender behind the dish. I still think he's the future of the, the catching position for the Chicago Cubs. And when he's not hitting great, like I get it, he's not going to be the most exciting offensive catcher in the world, but who really is an exciting offensive catcher? Very, very few. What I like about Amaya is he has the ability to hit 15, maybe 20 home runs. I think he's probably closer to the 15 range. He walks a bunch. He has consistently walked a ton through his minor league career, doesn't strike out a lot, and he's a plus defender. Assuming that the elbow heals up and everything is good in that department, he is a plus defender. So with the defense that you're getting there, he's a great receiver. He always had a good arm there, so we'll see how the elbow heals, but I think it'll be just fine. He's going to walk. He's going to run into some baseballs. I think he can give you above average offense at the catching position with great defense 
that could be a very solid catcher. He's still just 23 years old. I think Amaya still has a chance to be a big league piece and probably could have been in the top 10 as well had he not you know, missed the majority of last season and the beginning of this season. I mentioned Bryce Ball, acquired in the Jack Peterson trade, another first baseman that's swinging it well in double A. Not quite to the Matt Mervis levels of swinging it, but still a nice piece for them to get. He is shattering his career highs in production and he is whiffing the lowest rate of his career. That's things you like to see. Speaking of whiffs, Nelson Velasquez, another honorable mention, got a little cameo at the big league level, definitely wasn't ready. They brought him up because they were in a bit of a pinch, but Velasquez, he was somewhat the breakout guy for the Cubs last year, had a phenomenal finish to the season, parlayed that into a great stretch in the Arizona Fall League, Uh, but so far this season, we've seen the power. He's an athletic outfielder as well for his size, but he needs to cut that K rate down from 36% if he wants to be a legitimate big league option. Something to follow. He's still a name to follow because of the power in the year that he had last year, and we're still seeing that production this year, but the K's got to be cut down uh, for him to be a legitimate option. Ed Howard, the poor guy's just been hurt, man. And I really want to see what a healthy Ed Howard looks like for a full season. I know the Cubs want to see that even more. And I know you listening, if you're a Cubs fan, probably want to see that even more, even if you're not a Cubs fan. I mean, Howard is so fun. He could be elite defensively at shortstop. He's an above average runner. He's got good bat to ball skills, but we just have not really been able to see the offense develop. He's only played 102 professional games at the time of me recording this. So it would be silly to write him off but we can't put him in the top 10 when you know he just has not been there. A guy that could soon pass him is Kevin Made, another shortstop prospect, signed for $1.5 million at the Dominican Republic in 2019, and he has really shown more offensive ability than I thought because he's got exciting defensive ability, and that was part of the reason why I think the Cubs were okay with shelling out $1.5 million to get him because you got that high floor of a def- defense first shortstop. You know what the worst case you're hoping for that utility type of outcome, but we might have a regular here with Kevin Made because the bat to ball skills have been really impressive at low A for a guy that's playing well above his, his age level. And continues to look better and better at the plate. I do wonder how much he can impact the baseball, but he's still young, still has a lot of time to figure that out. A guy that's kind of the opposite, and the last guy in the honorable mentions that I'll mention, and also in that Chris Bryant deal is Alexander Canario. And Canario has ridiculous tools. I mean, he can hit the ball as hard as anybody, and he can throw the ball from the outfield as hard as anybody. But as you know, baseball is a game of who can be the closest to consistent? No one can be consistent because it's impossible. Uh, but who can be the closest to consistent? And Canario has been somewhat far from that. I will say since his double-A promotion has looked better in the swing and miss department, but is not getting on base and is, you know, not quite tapping into the same amount of power. So the question is, can he find that balance? He was great in high A. Yes, he struck out 35% of the time, but he was 281, 365, 84 hitter with seven homers in 24 games. 31 games so far in double A. He's hit the seven homers. He's cut the K rate down to 29%, but he's walking half the time that he was. So 5% walk rate. He's hitting 222, 267, 460. Uh, You got to be a little bit better than that uh, to, to really... Uh, be considered a top 10 prospect. But that being said, let's let's get into the top 10 because I am very impressed with Johendrick Pinago, uh, outfielder high A right now. He just turned 20 years old, $400,000 international free agent signing back in 2018. And this guy is very, very unique because you watch him swing and it looks a bit chaotic at times. I mean, like he'll take some big, 
big hacks, or at least very aggressive hacks. But what's amazing is he actually has very impressive bat-to-ball skills. And when you look at the TLDR that I have for him, uh, you know, the one sentence before the write-up, is it almost sounds contradictory of itself a free swinger with surprisingly impressive bat to ball skills and that's what he is I mean I, t- I see some swings that he takes and I'm like whoa he's out of control but then you get to two strikes and he's under control and and he can really spoil tough pitches and he controls the barrel well and his hands work well and uh, everything looks pretty good and you look at the contact rates they're strong and this is a dude that's always kind of played above his level and I know that Cubs fans are starting to get excited about him because there's a lot to like a left-handed bat with, and I'll get into exit velos and power potential in a minute, but he's got balanced tools across the board. He's going to be a corner outfielder long-term, but he's an above average runner average at worst. But I think, I think above average runner, he has above average raw power and an above average to plus hit tool. So there's a lot to like there projection wise. So far this season, he has been really good in high a as a guy that started the season as a 19 year old at that level. 263, 314, 449 slash line. So obviously would like to see him walk a little bit more. He's walking at about a 7% clip, but he's only striking out at a 19% clip. He has nine home runs, eight stolen bases. He's a smart player. He's an opportunistic runner. I think we can always expect 10 to 15 bags from him uh, with the way he is able to, to kind of just pick his spots on the base paths. What I like is at the plate, he's picking his spots a little bit better too, because there was a question of how much power is in there. The exit velos were there, though, and and we've seen some 110s, 11s, even a 113-mile-per-hour exit velo from Pinago this year, which is crazy because he's 20 and still has a little bit of room to fill out. Uh, That's why we've seen nine home runs, right? Because we have never really seen more than four or five home runs it was last year in that full season. That was in 108 games. So in 52 games, he has already almost doubled up his home run total from last year. Uh, that's a great sign. That is because he is hitting the ball in the air a lot more. He has cut the ground ball rate down by 10%. That is huge for a guy that we know has the raw power. His home run to fly ball rate has tripled. I mean, that is because he has more of an approach. Instead of just hacking and trying to hit the ball hard on the ground, he's looking to lift a bit more and pick his spots. He's leveraging his hitters counts a lot better. And This is something that Again, we talked about with Joey Weimer because Joey Weimer was a guy that never hit home runs in college. And if you listen to that podcast, that interview, that was so much fun because I'm like, where did this power come from? He's like, I always put up ridiculous exit velos, but they were all on the ground. Well, if you hit it hard on the ground, how about hitting it hard in the air? It'll carry. The velo will allow it to carry and go far, right? I mean, it's just like basic physics. But that is what we're seeing with Pinago is he was putting up 108s, 109s last year, but they were all on the ground. Now he got even a little bit more physical. The 109s are now 111s at times, and they're in the air. And that's why we're seeing more home runs. I see 20-plus home runs here, 10 to 15 bags, and solid defense in either corner as a left-handed bat. I think that's a very fair 70th percentile outcome to look for here with Pinago. The fact that he's 20 years old and, and able to you know produce at this level I think is really exciting. He could be one of the younger guys at the AA level if he continues Here's the thing, he's your classic, really good bat-to-ball guy that wants to hit everything, and I think that could get exposed a little bit more at the AA level. A little bit more patience would be great. If I saw that walk rate tick up to the 9-10% range, I'm feeling really good about this guy, because that means the on-base percentage ticks up to 320-330, and there's less pressure on the hit tool. For me, the hit tool always blends with the walk rate, and the only thing that's holding... 
Pinago back from that 60 grade hit tool right now. I have a 55 future value is the lack of free passes. For me, that is still just too important in today's game, especially with how much guys walk now is that's got to be baked into hit tool. And that's the one thing that he's missing in terms of physical bat to ball. He's got the ability and we're seeing him start to leverage his counts more, but let's be a little bit more patient. I know that you can get the bat on everything, but pick the right pitches. He's starting to do a little bit better job of that, but I need to see him do that a little bit better and start to take some of those free passes to, you know, really be that guy that could be a regular or an above average regular at a corner. I think there's a legitimate chance he can be speaking of free passes. Number nine is a guy that just gives away too many of them, but I am really impressed from what we've seen from him on the mound as a former eighth round overslot guy in 2019. So he did get, I think, top five round money, but was an eighth rounder in 2019. That's DJ Hers, Southpaw, who has just been impossible to square up. Uh, four hitters throughout his professional career so far. And and hers is a former two-sport athlete, or maybe three. I, I know he played football. He played quarterback as well in high school. And you can see the athleticism on the mound. I mean, he is funky with his delivery. Both him and Jordan Wicks, who I'll get to, are both crossfire guys, meaning that you know they almost step towards first base and then fire across their body a little bit. That's a nightmare left on left, but it's also very hard to pick up for righties when you have a good changeup. And both Hers and Wicks have great changeups. The reason why I have Wicks ahead, I'll get more into when I dive into Wicks specifically, but Hers is is been really good in terms of just swings and misses and, and really not giving up a lot of runs. You look at what he has done this year in high A. He has a 2.09 ERA, a 2.92 FIP. He's striking out 37% of batters, but he's also walking 13.6% of batters. That's where the problem kind of lies, because I think as he gets promoted to double A, he's going to get exposed a little bit more in that regard because hitters are much more patient at the double A level and they have seen some good stuff. They're going to lay off of that good stuff and they're going to keyhole you a little bit and make you locate. And right now, I mean, he's getting a lot of chases outside of the zone on the changeup. He's getting a lot of chases at the top of the zone with the fastball. And that's something that double A is littered with right now. And hitters are are adjusting too. So I want to see how hers is able to get out at the double A level. But here's the reality is he is not getting squared up. He has almost never gotten squared up. And if you look at his numbers through his professional career, he's just not giving up a lot of home runs. I mean, he has only given up nine so far through his entire career pro career and it's because it's really either walk or strikeout and when he gets into trouble it's he walks a couple guys and then there's a weak single that scores a run I mean that's really the way that this guy's getting beat right now but when you're walking more than five batters per nine it's just going to be a problem for you to to consistently have success and that's my concern uh, the other concern with hers is that you know we we have not really seen him go more than four innings very often this year. Actually, only twice this season he's gone more than four innings, and he's averaging about three and two thirds innings per start. So you know I want to see a little bit more that will will hedge the reliever risk because I think he could be a dynamite reliever, and that's what I I really like about him is that the fallback is he will be a spectacular reliever as a guy that can blow it by you in the mid nineties with a unique fastball with life and a wipeout changeup. But you know, to, to be ranked ahead of some of these other guys, 
you got to be a starter. And I do have my questions in that regard. The good news is he's 21 years old. The good news is he has a 70 grade changeup and an above average fastball. Uh, but the bad news is fringy command and a third pitch that I don't totally trust yet. That breaking ball just do- doesn't seem like it's totally there yet. And, and I just think there's a lot of reliever risk here for hers. Still just 21 years old, athletic on the mound, could figure it out. And I think could leapfrog guys if he shows the ability to kind of cut those walks down a little bit. But for right now, uh, I love the swing and miss stuff. I'm very excited about what we've seen here. But at the same time, just not enough to get him up there a little bit higher yet uh, to prove that he is a legitimate starting pitching prospect moving forward. Uh, But definitely a name worth following and has a great fallback as a lights out reliever in the worst case scenario Uh, another guy that has really just been good out of the gate and probably was overlooked a bit too much in the draft uh back in not even that long ago 2021 is James Triantos and I know that's a popular name for a lot of Cubs fans because Triantos has really just hit out of the gate after being selected in the second round of the 2021 draft out of high school and uh, a lot of teams feel like oh wow we we may have overlooked Triantos a little bit because he is a plus hit tool guy who has really shown to be able to defend well at third base, has a plus arm because he was up to 96 on the mound in high school, and has hit the ground running in his professional career because of his high-end ability to hit. Through 25 games, it was very clear that he was wasting his time at the Complex League. Uh, It was just too easy for him. So he gets the full Season A assignment this year uh, in 2022. Uh, to, to kick the season off. And, and again, it was, it's, it's been pretty easy for him in terms of just being able to put the bat on the ball and, and just be a high batting average guy. He's in 290, 360, 383 so far in low a as a 19 year old and a young 19 year old, he's 19 in four months. And, uh, only an 18% care rate, 9% walk rate, but only one home run so far this season fantastic bat-to-ball skills from Triantos, and that's what's going to really carry him, and that's what the the calling card is, but I do have my concern about how much impact there is here, and I'm looking at the exit velos, I'm looking at the swing. The swing just doesn't look built to accommodate much more than 10 homers, and I don't know if there's much explosion in there. He leaves some impact to be desired, and uh, as a result, I, I just don't know how much we can project power-wise. Also, he's very filled out. He's about 6'1", almost 200 pounds already. I don't see much room for projection in terms of, of physicality. And so I see some higher raw power grades and and game power grades in terms of his projection and present. And, and I just don't know if I see the same thing. What I do see is a guy who is a phenomenal, phenomenal hitter in terms of just being able to use the whole field, bat to ball skills, and could be a good defender at third, though his actions need some work, uh, but has a rifle for an arm and can make a lot of difficult plays. I, I just don't know if if this is a dude with enough upside to really get any higher than eight, but the bat to ball gives him a good chance to be a very solid regular, and if he can develop some positional versatility, then could be a very good utility player. I just wonder if with a guy that lacks impact at a third base position that requires a lot of impact, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the hit tool and the defense, and I'm interested to see how that progresses, but nonetheless, very exciting to see uh, a high school guy hit the ground running like this, and I hope he proves me wrong and finds a little bit more impact. I mean, we've seen it with guys like Anthony Volpe and, and other prospects like Nick York that ha- have just 
developed into power that we didn't really expect and and really tap into power that we we didn't really see in there. Hopefully that's the case with Triantos, but you know we'll see how things continue uh, for him. But he definitely has given himself a very solid floor with his hitting ability and with his big arm. I think he will develop fine defensively at third. Uh, it's more about just the impact. Coming in at seven is a guy that I actually really like. And I, I know that Cubs fans may not be thrilled with the early numbers from Jordan Wicks, but I loved this draft pick by the Cubs. And uh, by all accounts, the Cubs were not really even expecting him to fall to them. And and he did. And that was great news for them because they really need pitching. They still do. I'm, I'm looking for them to go acquire some more pitching prospects. Hopefully next time we talk in depth about the Cubs system after the deadline, they will have gone out and got some pitching prospects. Uh, but Wicks was much needed. He's never going to be an ace, uh, and, and I hate saying that about somebody, but I would be very floored if Jordan Wicks is ever an ace, but he has a very, very good chance at being a number four starter, and the Cubs just needed more guys like that, and I think he has an outside chance of being a number three starter. The numbers haven't been great so far this season, a 4-4 ERA in 11 starts at the high A level, but also it seems like a little bit of bad luck. The walk numbers and strikeout numbers are strong. He's kept the ball in the yard relatively well. The FIP is at 3.21. The XFIP is at 3.31. That's more of the pitcher he is. And, and I expect that to normalize a little bit. I mean, he is another pitcher with that crossfire delivery, as I mentioned with hers, and a plus-plus changeup. The difference is Wicks has plus command, at least in the future value department. I see above average command now, potentially plus command. He's bigger at 6'3", 220. He's a bit thicker. And I like the ability and feel for his secondaries a bit more. He just has more to fall back on than hers. He has better command. He has a curveball and slider. I like the slider better. The slider looks above average, average at worst. The curveball is, is closer to average. But the fact that he has two secondaries that he can lean on on top of the plus changeup and has the feel for all of his pitches is very adept to mixing and matching. He's never going to give you the same look a couple times in a row. You're going to get a bunch of different looks from Wicks. He has a really good feel to pitch. The fastball has sneaky ride to it, has a ton of induced vertical break, high spin at the 23-2400 RPM range, so he gets a lot of that ride that that you want out of a guy that may not light up the radar gun more in the 92 to 93 range, but with that riding life and with just the high spin, high spin efficiency fastball that he has, with a changeup that really dives off of it, and then at least an average or better slider that he has a good feel for, and that taste-breaking curveball, I like him. I just think the floor is so solid as a back-end-of-the-rotation arm worst-case scenario. I think there's you know number three upside here for Jordan Wicks, but at the worst, you have a very solid number four type of pitcher, uh, and, and that's hard to come by in this Cubs system, and, and I'm a big fan of his from what we've seen so far was under-recruited, really pitched well at Kansas State, and earned himself a first-round selection. I expect the results to continue to get better, and I expect his his breaking balls to even get a little bit better. I mean, the fact that his slider can get up to 2,800, 2,900 RPMs, I think he's going to find a way to get a little bit more depth on that pitch, a little bit more late bite to it, and I think that pitch will be more comfortably above average. When that happens, the savviness and ability and feel for his secondaries is going to allow him to just get guys out, and the stuff is still good enough, especially with that plus-plus changeup. 
22 years old. He's going to continue to get better. I'm a big fan of Jordan Wicks, and I think that was a great pick by the Chicago Cubs. He should continue to develop nicely. Speaking of a guy that has been developing nicely, it may not be long before we move Kevin Alcantara up on this list, and we're probably we probably have him ranked a little bit lower. I'm not saying that this is because I don't like Kevin Alcantara. It's honestly just because I like a lot of the other prospects more than most. I mean, you, you can probably do process of elimination to, to see who's going to be in part two. I mean, you can see that we're going to start with Owen Casey. You can also just go to the article and see who is in the top five here. And, and I'll get into those guys and why I like them so much. It's more of the case of me loving the top five than having anything against Kevin Alcantara. And, and the thing with Alcantara is he came over from the Yankees in that in that Rizzo deal. And he is super projectable. He was a million dollar international free agent for the Yankees in 2018. He's six foot six, just 20 years old, has put up some insane batted ball data. And we're seeing some pretty impressive production so far at the low A level. He's hitting 283, 368, 520. That's good for a 142 WRC plus. He's got nine home runs so far at the low A level. 11% walk rate, 27% K rate. The swing can get a little bit long, which I don't think is surprising for a guy that is six foot six. Uh, but I am impressed with his ability to turn around on pitches middle in. He can get short when he needs to, which is really encouraging to me because I tweeted out and you can see it in the article as well. There's a video embedded in there of him turning on a pitch middle in. And I think he hit it 112 miles an hour and over 400 feet. Uh, he crushed it. This guy has 70-grade raw power. I think there's plus game power in there. He could hit 30-plus home runs if it all comes together, but I am a little concerned that as he gets to the higher levels, that might be more of a challenge for him. Right now, he's punishing fastballs that are missed over the middle. Uh, he'll punish hangers because he can go short to long very easily, and you know when, when a pitch is hanging up there, that's where the long swing almost comes in into handy a little bit because he can still stay back long enough and get extended, catch it out front, and and hit some home runs. And we've seen that. I am worried that at the high A level and then especially the double A level, those high spin fastballs, those arm side running fastballs are going to bust him in and be a problem. And then the breaking balls away will be a bit more effective against him. I guess we, we have to cross that bridge when we get there, but I've seen some individual ABs where, where that's the case against some more advanced pitchers at the low A level. And, and that's my only concern. I think there's going to be a learning curve and, and he's going to get there. And, and I think he's athletic enough and talented enough to shorten things up and be more efficient and direct to the ball. And I think we're already seeing a better version of that from him this year. And what is our first look at him in full season ball? And I think he has done everything that he needs to do so far to prove that he is progressing in the right way. He has been red hot over the last month and should get called up to South Bend relatively soon. That's where it's going to be a fun test, and then especially eventually once he gets to the double-A level. But if he doesn't turn 20 for another month, but I would love to see him join Owen Casey in high A. They're both 19 and, and both, you know, I think could handle the aggressive assignment to a degree. Owen Casey has been struggling to a degree, and I'm going to make that whole case for him because I think if he was in low A, he'd be putting up Kevin Alcantara numbers. But this is a guy that I think can play above average defense in a corner because of his average or better speed. He has a decent arm. He has good tools. The athleticism can be seen in the box. I want to see him use the whole field a little bit more. And that comes with being more compact and direct to the ball and not getting as, as armsy at times, but that's a challenge for a six foot six hitter. It's proven to be possible. I mean, look at Aaron judge and how efficient his moves are, but you have more pressure to be efficient when you're this long. Once you are 
you know, a guy that puts it together when you're this long, the power and short to long extension and just easy backspin that you can generate becomes something that very few guys can match. I mean, look at what O'Neal Cruz can do exit velo wise, but it took him some time to find, you know, that shorter stroke and get there. I think Alcantara can get there, but until he gets there, he's going to be a little bit outside looking in compared to some of these other prospects, but very excited to see what he's going to do, hopefully at the high A level and see if he can keep this going. But he is one of those guys that has as much upside as anybody in the system. I mean, I would literally take his upside with Anybody in the farm system, just obviously a very wide range of outcomes and volatility is going to be factored into these prospect rankings. I'm going to get into the top five in tomorrow's episode and very excited to go through those with Jack McMullen and we will go in depth on each of the five prospects tomorrow. Thank you to those who have taken the time to leave a rating for the show. I really appreciate it. It really helps us grow it. If you could take a second, if you haven't yet, I would, again, very much appreciate it. And, of course, thank you, as always, for listening. Look forward to talking top five Cubs prospects with you tomorrow. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.